Good afternoon, you are listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and this is Art Then and Now with me, your host Anna Gammons. This is a show where we explore art from the past and art from the present to understand how we as humans have expressed ourselves through time. Now this week is a continuation from last week's episode where I introduced the Saatchi Gallery's world-renowned exhibition Tutankhamun Treasures of the Golden Pharaoh, which is on until May the 3rd. And this week I had the most profound pleasure of speaking to artist Kate Daudy, who was asked by the gallery to create a series of works exploring her personal response to the Tutankhamun exhibition. But before we get to that, I thought it might be good in the context of Kate's interview to consider what was actually considered art thousands of years ago in ancient Egypt. So what was considered art in ancient Egypt? Well, I wish I could answer this question simply, but unfortunately, it doesn't offer a very simple answer. You see, since the phenomenon of Egypt mania in the 1920s, after the rediscovery of the ancient tombs, we have had a prolonged fascination with ancient Egyptian culture. We seem to be completely enthralled by the large painted statues, the decorated objects and the seemingly abundant use of gold and precious metals. But because we see these things as having monetary value and requiring skill or just being pretty to look at, it's really easy to see them inherently as art. But while some of the things may fit our own contemporary standard of what art is, as Kate mentions in our interview, that we could actually be projecting what our own sense of art is on the ancient civilization. And she mentions that often these objects were functional and they might not have necessarily been classed as art back in Egyptian culture. But that doesn't mean that they didn't have things that might have been classed as art back then or things they even considered as art. But it is important to note that, first and foremost, there was no word for art in ancient Egyptian language, which of course makes it really, really tricky to assess what art actually is. I told you this answer is not simple. And in modern culture today, we are still debating the topic of what is art. So therefore, really, really impossible to know with accuracy what is considered art three to five thousand years ago. But what we do know is that paintings, drawings, jewellery, sculpture, face painting and architecture, to name only a few, all tended to serve a very functional purpose throughout the period from 3100 BC to 30 BC. Well, that is essentially the kind of timeline of ancient Egypt and they were used to sort of promote and immortalize religious ideas and ideologies. There wasn't really any such thing as individual artist expression as such like we have today but instead the idea of serving a greater cosmic purpose. So it might be worth kind of acknowledging that maybe we sort of see these things as art. Maybe the ancient Egyptians didn't see them as art, but they certainly fit a lot of the paradigms that we class as art today. So we'll talk about them with that in mind. But in the dynastic period from around 3100 BC, early forms of ancient Egyptian 
art, in quote unquote, (laughs) included things that you might expect from an early civilization. We're looking at things like pottery and statues made of wood or bone. There are these things called cosmetic plates, which are essentially slabs used to grind materials used for face and body paint. And I'm sure you're familiar with uh, when you see in all the movies, those that dramatic eye makeup and those kind of body tattoos made of paint. They're really, really beautiful. And also language too is worth considering because I thought about this and I thought, well, you know, we consider calligraphy in today's society art too. But of course, the ancient Egyptians used symbology as their language. You know, we've got hieroglyphics and they're both words and images used to express ideas. And they are one of the most important components to a burial ritual as well. So they really do serve a functional purpose, but they're also incredibly important, I would say, in sort of looking at what art used to be. I mean, they had Egyptian poetry as well. And as I mentioned before, in today's society, we class literature as art as well. So really kind of vague understanding um, of what art is. But, you know, I'm going to talk about it as if it is, you know, in today's culture today, because that's kind of the only really way we can do it. The Old Kingdom period, which started around 2600 BC, we start to get the pyramids. Now, this includes the pyramids of Giza, sorry, which are one of the most famous landmarks in the world. I'm sure you know them, regardless of how old you are I'm sure you've seen them before but they're essentially huge huge pyramids that really changed the landscape of Egypt but they are actually a lavish burial site too so again you know they're kind of drawing the lines between what's functional and what you know we just look at what's aesthetically pleasing Um, but again they are you know really really important to the religious aspect of ancient Egypt too as well as I said they are burial grounds technically as well as this, you've got tomb and temple paintings. So it's not just a big empty chamber inside these pyramids. You've got the most beautiful paintings and drawings as well inside, as as well as all the objects, which if you've been to the Saatchi Gallery exhibition, you will know all about what sits inside of these incredibly lavish uh, tombs. But of course, Tutankhamun's tomb is actually underground. So not quite a pyramid, different way of burial, but still, you know, with these very, very lavish objects too. Now we've got statues as well. statues of pharaohs and gods and these again had a very practical purpose sometimes for protection sometimes to show respect and worship but also as a way to materialize ideas and concepts relating to the afterlife so for example we see the god Horus who is the god of the sky often portrayed with the head of a hawk and it's an idea of sort of being able to tell these pass along um, these narratives to younger generations and well to everyone one really Um, but there's quite complex ideas relating to the afterlife and how you get there what you do when you get there and who there is guiding you there so again these statues are really really important to add a visuality to the culture too so again functional but you know arguably they were very very beautiful very decorative you know highly highly um you know, stunning um, and artistic constructions too. And uh, we also see there are fewer big monuments in the period of the intermediate period of ancient Egypt as well. So, and things start to become a little bit more mass produced. And also what's interesting in the Middle Kingdom, which is around the 2000 to 1700 BC, is that we see that art becomes a little bit more democratised. So that means ordinary people are being depicted in art too. And, you know, this is considered the sort of high point 
in ancient Egyptian culture as well. And you see a lot more jewellery. You know, there's a very symmetrical element to a lot of the art too. And then, of course, the death masks. Now, the most famous is, of course, the golden mask of Tutankhamun, which has become incredibly iconic. But they were made to look like the deceased person a lot of the time too. So this is really interesting as well. You could call it portraiture in a way. So it's, you know, the masks worn in death as part of the funerary attire. But again, I would argue an ancient form of um, of portraiture. But again, that is me projecting my own sense of what art could be um, as well, what art is now and then what art actually meant back then. So it's really, really hard to separate the two. But I hope that you go into this interview, which I'm about to play you with a little bit more knowledge about what was considered art in ancient Egypt or not what wasn't considered art in ancient Egypt. <laughs> So this is my first half of an interview with Kate Dordie and you will hear that Kate is taking me on a tour around her exhibition. It wasn't that at all. And this was a response to the Saatchi Gallery's Tutankhamun Treasures of the Golden Pharaoh exhibition. She has some fascinating ideas relating to the common themes that link us together. And uh, I really hope you enjoy it. I think she's got a lot of important things to say. So here is Kate Dordie. I'm here at the Saatchi Gallery in London with Kate Dordy, who is artist in residence here at the moment with her exhibition, It Wasn't That At All. Hi, Kate. Hello. Let's start from the beginning. Kate is going to talk to us about the meaning behind her exhibition, and I'm going to listen eagerly. <laughs> so uh, it was wonderful when uh, Philly Adams, the director of the Saatchi Gallery, came to ask me to do this exhibition uh, about a year a year and a quarter ago now, I suppose. Wow. And, and I didn't know anything about ancient Egypt, really, beyond just what you learn at school. Mm. And, uh, and so I started to read and look into it a lot um, and ended up uh, finding a podcast. I was looking to fall in love with ancient Egypt because that's how mm -hmm. I thought I'd be able to do a good response to the treasure of Tutankhamun downstairs. That makes, that makes sense. And, uh, and so I wrote to this man uh, who'd done this podcast, a man called uh, Professor Richard Bruce Parkinson, and said, I loved your podcast. What else should I read? Uh, you know, where should I go? You know, I'm doing this exhibition. Mm -hmm. And uh, having not really expected much as a response, mm -hmm. I was amazed and enthralled to receive within 15 minutes an answer from this. That's so great, because I, I don't know, the times I've cold emailed people and you don't yeah. get a response. I know, it was amazing. Just amazing. Right? He's, yeah. he's, Oxford, he's an Oxford professor, did you say, as well? Yes, so he runs the Egyptology um, department at Oxford and uh, he's attached to the Ashmolean and anyway, he's just this completely fantastic guy. So he said, why oh, don't we start with me opening up the Griffith Institute to you? Oh my God. <laughs> and read the diaries of Howard Carter and Lord Carnarvon, mm. which are there, and see all of our original photos and, uh, and records and absolutely everything about Tutankhamun that there is really um, in the UK I'm outside. So jealous. Of, uh, I'm so you. jealous that you got to do that. That is absolutely <laughs> incredible. So it was extraordinary. So I also um, was helped by a PhD student who, um, who Richard uh, assigned to me um, to educate me, <laughs> who's called Ellen Jones, um, and she helped me enormously and then introduced me to ancient Egyptian literature mm -hmm. and uh, taught me some very basic uh, hieroglyphs. And, uh, and of course, by the so end, fun. now I'm completely mad about ancient Egypt. Oh. Um, so great. In a way that I would never have expected. So when they, when they approached you and the gallery approached you, did you have any kind of sense of what you might produce? No. 
<laughs> I mean, of course not. Yeah, no, because yeah. well, you haven't seen the exhibition or anything, had you? Like, uh, I mean, no, I've never even been to Egypt, and uh, and so when I was asked to do this, firstly, I've, of course, it was this. It was a great honour because mm. um, how wonderful to do something with uh, with Tutankhamen and mm -hmm. in this um, this place. And then, of course, I love learning, so it was a great opportunity for me to learn. Really, that's what I thought. My first thought was, "Hooray! Now I can learn Amazing. about Egypt." <laughs> um, so the so then I suppose uh, I start as I as I almost immediately, thanks to the people at Oxford, began to learn about um, the Tutankhamen, the the realities, I suppose, of Tutankhamen. Mm. It, it, it was very obvious to me that um, Tutankhamun is a, just a man. Um, and, uh, and I feel very much, I, was, I started telling you about this project mm. I did about home and identity with this tent. Yes. Where it changed, my, it changed the way I see everything, or rather perhaps underlined the way I see everything, and, um, and taught me that everything is connected and that everyone's life is mm. worth the same. And there's this idea mm. of Tutankhamun being this kind of exciting, glamorous, messiah kind of powerful, like, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, mm. But actually, um, of course, he was a man. He succeeded to the throne when he was eight, so he was a child. He had a regent who ruled for him. And, oh, uh, I didn't realize that. And uh, and Tutankhamun was a totally powerless. Um, child basically and we then he died um, and instead of having this you know people talk about his completely amazing magnificent tomb which of course it is comparatively to mm. nothing but um, he's buried underneath the tomb of Ramses II one of the reasons why they didn't mm. find him for so long is because he was underneath an enormous tomb um, with 400 rooms full of incredible treasures. What? Okay, tomb, I didn't know that either. Carmen's yeah, <laughs> tomb was just like a little tiny tomb. A side like, tomb. <laughs> yeah, he's just like stuck in the bin, basically. Oh my God. And they, uh, they didn't that. bury him according to the proper rites. He wasn't looking in the right direction. He didn't have his heart in his yes. body. He, um, he was just mm. sort of really consigned to oblivion. Mm. And then they erased his name from every mm. um, monument and just tried to forget all about him. Not even because of him himself, like mm. he'd done some terrible thing because actually he did pretty much nothing. Yeah, Com as a child, um, yeah, as you said. Um, but because of his association with his father, Akhenaten, who, um, who was a really reviled um, pharaoh, right. who seems to have been um, cruel, capricious, mm. who replaced the, um, the old priests and gods yes. with uh, monotheistic yeah. uh, religion, uh, worshipping the sun. Um, I know he did a lot to sort of eradicate the the religion at the time. Mm -hmm. I, I remember that being something. And uh, and so he and he he transferred the capital, uh, built a, built a new capital yes. for the whole of Egypt, and he was uh, so unpopular that um, that when his son Tutankhamun died, mm. they they just tried to erase any memory of both mm. of them from the history books. So they'd stopped writing their name on the king's lists. Um, and they, uh, mm. a lot of the stuff in Tutankhamun's tomb is just rubbish. I mean, not rubbish, but it's stuff left over yeah, yeah, from yeah. the reign of Akhenaten. It's just kind so of got rid of everything. Because to us, yeah. it looks like it's sort of like a, a throne room of, um, yes. of treasure. Like it, it really mm. doesn't feel that way to us, I, does it really? And uh, yes, and even the wall paintings were done in such haste 
and are of such poor quality compared to, to other, other things, things at that sure. time. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, they were done at the last minute. The, there's even there's a sort of speckling of the of the imagery on the walls, which comes from the plaster going mouldy uh, because the walls were all sealed while the plaster was still wet. So it it, it started to go mouldy. Oh my goodness! Um, I mean, it's really that's why I called this exhibition. It wasn't bad at all. Um, sure. For well, for two reasons. One I mean, about Tutankhamun yeah, and his yeah. life and his memory. You know, it really wasn't at all how we perceive his uh, his life and his memory to have been oh my um, I mean that was going to be one of my uh, questions the, the, the title yeah. but now it's very much fitting into place and yeah. I'm seeing it in a whole new way I borrowed the title from a song by The National I don't know if you know this band called I The National I don't but I'll I research it. it and then in, and, um, in, insert it here that I do yes yeah no yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so this band The National there's a song called Pink Rabbits and uh, at the end, there's a verse which I thought was really beautiful, which is, um, it says, um, they said it would be painless. It wasn't that at all. And, uh, and so I thought that that was a great title for mm. this exhibition because I feel actually really sorry for Tutankhamun. It's quite interesting. We had some people who came in the other day who wanted to, to organise a sort of series of meditation events downstairs. Mm. And, um, and they, were, they were speaking about the work down the, 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 the treasure of Tutankhamun as though yeah. it were art and right. um, and the, the it's um, these things downstairs they are ritual objects um, sure, yeah, they're, yeah. they're not really they would also have had art um, at mm. the time and the things that are downstairs are you know are functional objects that's so interesting because they, <laughs> they become art to us don't they because yes. we're looking at them very much projecting our own understanding of what art should be yes onto those objects but you yeah. that's really interesting that and that so it really kind art. of makes you question also you know sort of what is art what is uh, you know what's mm. a what's a ritual object what, yeah. are, what are we looking for in the world around us and also about sort of narrative how we are always rewriting narrative you know we invent entire histories about for example the treasure of Tutankhamun, totally. which I have got nothing to do with the reality of what they actually were, which so is quite interesting. Interesting. This is so like <laughs> more interesting than I even thought it was going to be. <laughs> and I thought it was going to be very interesting. So this is fantastic. Um, so that's interesting. So then, um, so then I started to look at Tutankhamun and uh, and what connects us. I, I have this idea that everything is connected mm -hmm. and that everyone is connected. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and I've been doing a whole load of work with this wonderful physicist uh, friend of mine, Kostya Novoselov. This project is called Everything is Connected. And uh, so I believe everything is connected. Like we're all part of the same sort of you know, created uh, universe and mm. uh, and uh, and he uh, he comes up with the facts. So <laughs> Could you support my theory? So he's please? like, uh, really uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like literally, we are all connected because yeah. we are made out of water yeah. and carbon Atoms and different arrangements of the yeah. same material that that sort of reappears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At different points. We're only using the resources that we have, so yeah. we're just recycling essentially. Yeah. So after I finished this home and identity project, this tent, I went round and uh, I was looking for, I suppose, the truth, um, because it felt like uh, life is so unfair. And, uh, and yep. it seemed so appalling to me that uh, I sleep in a comfortable bed um, with my healthy, well children, and I don't really worry about their security that much, mm. and so on. And I've been round and met people who really uh, had uh, been through things that 
unimaginable uh, sorrow and uh, loss, and yet come out with dignity, grace, uh, generosity of spirit, uh, yes. optimism. That is, that is <laughs> baffling and inspiring, isn't it, when, yes. he, when people do that? And, um, and so, uh, so, so anyway, the point to say, when it came to doing this show and connecting Tutankhamun to the contemporary world, I thought it was interesting to look at what connects us to throughout the whole of history and throughout all of time, past, present and future, we're all looking at the same questions, really, questions of faith, mm. questions of science, whether or not uh, there's any uh, I suppose existential questions, whether or not there's any point in uh, mm. being here. Um, mm. uh, we, ha we share the same essential human qualities at any period of history of uh, humility or pride or you know, the, Absolutely. The, the decor might change. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. But, the, but the basis is all the same. So, so mm. that is what also this exhibition is looking at, sort of, I suppose, section by section. Yeah. Um, um, looking through uh, the different things that connect us mm. throughout history to Tutankhamun yeah, yeah, and yeah. to um, our future, I suppose. Yeah, and I suppose that ties in as well to what you said about him just being a man. Like he, he he's just a boy. It's that whole thing of oh, this could this is just a child. Like yeah. I'm a person, he's a person. You might have lived three thousand five hundred years ago, but you're still you know, have those questions of mortality, what happens after the, you die? And all those mm. things, as you said, are exactly the same. And it's also my belief that we haven't changed a whole lot um, <laughs> in the space of however many thousands of exactly. years. Exactly. And so reading a lot of ancient Egyptian literature, for example, thanks to uh, Richard and Ellen and everyone, um, you know, the letters, some of them seem to have been written yesterday. You know, and Tutankhamun's wife, for example, mm. Anka Sinamun, was, you know, mm. a prolific letter writer. And you can read her letters and she, it's like, uh, it's, it's like reading quite a sort of fun letter from a friend of yours. And they also have really beautiful turns of phrase, which are just sort of forms. And there's this closeness to nature in ancient Egypt, which I also really love and which yeah. is also quite modern because I feel like certainly, you know, now that I'm getting quite old, um, I realise... It's not old, by the way. <laughs> I'm with her now. <laughs> um, I feel like your generation and the generation of my children, mm. they have oh, such a wonderful, holistic view of their... It's coming back around, isn't it? Yeah. Universe. Whereas it seemed to me, I was always sort of amazed by mm. the people when I was at, uh, at university, at least. You know, everyone just wanted to... I just wanted to make money. Yeah, you know? and innovate new, the new thing, the, the next new thing. Yeah, yeah. It's it is it's interesting. Like, come on, guys, you know, like, there's yeah. so many other things yeah, yeah, that yeah. you could do. And it seems to me, I feel full of hope when I see uh, and read about people like Greta Thunberg and mm -hmm. so on, who, who are really um, taking on this point, which I'm also making in this show, that the... Uh, that the future is in our hands. It's not some sort of, you know, you read the, look at the news mm. and you think, oh my God, you know, everything's just coming mm. at us and there's nothing we can do. But actually, we're in charge, mm. actually. And so I want uh, part of this, uh, part of all of my work, but this body of work in particular, is, I hope, sort of underlining to people that we're each of us neither more nor less important than we should be and that the future is in our hands and that we can, we can make change if we'd like to. There's another point also about Tutankhamun is this idea of the sort of grandiose, the gold, the power, you know, all of these things. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's not a, a thing that I find um, in my own personal 
life. There is no such thing as detail, and this, the importance of sort of humility and sort of poverty of materials. So downstairs, mm. it's all gold and precious objects and so on, and I wanted my response to be humble materials, mm. stuff that I found in the street. So here, you can't see it because it's not there, but there's a, uh, <laughs> there's a there. mummified hoover made out of cardboard. Oh, fab. Um, Why is that not? Oh, it's, being, it's in the educational department, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, wow. uh, and next can... to it is a, is a stand with a pile of dust. Um, sure. And it, so it's kind of saying, it doesn't matter. We don't have to do things that are kind of transcendentally important all of the time. Sure. And that actually, you know, there's this wonderful poet who I really like called John Ashbury, who was the poet laureate of the United States of America. And he wrote an autobiography called The Other 23 Hours. Because he said, you know, I'm a poet. Everyone always talks to me about my poetry, but nobody asked me, like, did I go for a walk? Or do you enjoy unloading the dishwasher? And, yeah. <laughs> you know, all of yeah, these yeah. other things which actually inform the one hour of, uh, of making work mm -hmm. that he does possibly every day or maybe even not. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I think that's a really nice point to make now when I think people feel possibly more insecure individually than maybe we have in a long while because there's so many things going wrong and people feel mm. like there's everything has to be done as a community. Mm. But actually, community is made out of individuals and the mm. individual is much more important than, than, than they think sometimes, mm. you know? So this is my, uh, as I say, you know, so I was commissioned to do a response to the treasure of Tutankhamen, yes. personal response. This. Um, work that's uh, three um, sort of landscapes with fireworks made out of words, I suppose. Um, I love, and then there's, is it is felt as well? Is this? Yeah, this is felt, which I, I use a lot of felt, felt because it's the rubbish of the fabric industry. So f felt is made Very of the sort of recomposed sort of sweepings and offcuts. Yes. And I yes. quite like the idea of making, um, so this work, for example, is literally, it's paper from the post office, um, painted and decorated with words and, and literally rubbish from the fabric industry. Amazing. So it's nice for me to make sort of jewel-like, labor-intensive, hopefully um, beautiful, yes, intricate absolutely. work out of, you know, really rubbish, mm. um, which mm. I think is, a point that can be made that makes you feel better about yourself. Yeah. So this is a work called The Dialogue of a Man and His Soul, um, which is actually my first funeral. I had a friend who uh, was very ill and then, and then died, and his wife put his ashes inside fireworks. And at the end of his funeral, there was this extraordinary firework display on the Sussex Downs, and uh, and we all stood outside oh in the dark, and there was this firework. That makes me want to cry. That and is so beautiful. this is my um, my personal uh, first funeral, thinking about Tutankhamun and his uh, funeral. Yeah. And um, and then the the words are made out of text that was translated by Richard Bruce Parkinson. He was working at the British Museum. They had three incredible texts. Um, Anna, which right. were made out of um, papyrus, mm -hmm. and they were found in 1881 in the tomb of a scribe. And the scribe had written out his three favourite texts and been buried with them. 
which is so amazing. Uh, yeah, I love that. And, uh, <laughs> and so there were three texts. One is The Tale of Syndicate, which is about the most romantic story that you'll ever read. Mm -hmm. The second is uh, The Tale of the um, Eloquent Peasant, which is a sort of, I suppose it's a story, one of the classic stories of like speaking sure. truth to power and so on. Right. The third was a papyrus manuscript which had largely fallen to dust. And Richard got a bioarchaeologist to recompose it, not from trying to assemble the words in an order that would make sense, but in the uh, according to the natural form of the papyrus leaves. Right. Which meant okay. that this text that hadn't made any sense because they'd just been composing it the wrong way, yeah, yeah, yeah. suddenly formed the first ever existential text oh, known oh to goodness. philosophy because it was, uh, it's this uh, questioning, uh, this is man saying, what is the point of being alive? What if there isn't an afterlife? What if my life has no purpose? Oh, if you keep those tests no, yourself. If there's no afterlife, what's the point of being yeah. good? Why shouldn't I just kind of steal everything yeah. and uh, yeah. just do whatever I want? And yeah. in fact, in the middle of this, this poem, he says, uh, oh, in fact, if there's no point, why don't I just kill myself now? I get hungry, I'm in pain, uh, I'm afraid yeah. of the darkness, yeah. uh, I'm lonely. It's, it's, but there's still it's yeah. issues that we deal with today, like it, it, that whole, um, you know, what if there isn't anything else? You know, do I, you know, is that make my life more important because it's just one once over and you don't get a second chance? Or does it mean that you, it's more important because you're trying to prove something for the afterlife? It's so interesting. I find yeah. that so interesting. So this is my first uh, kind of uh, response to the treasure of Tutankhamun. So that was the first half of our interview and you can listen to the second half next week at the same time on Resonance FM. You can also see Kate's exhibition, It Wasn't That At All, on the second floor of the Saatchi Gallery until the 3rd of May. Just go to Saatchi Gallery website or tutankhamun-london.com and your main ticket for the Tutankhamun exhibition, Treasures of the Golden Pharaoh, will cover you for her exhibition too. Please also go to her website katedawley.com or her Instagram at katedawleystudio to follow what she's up to thank you so much for listening this week and i hope to see you again next week we are also trying to raise money to secure the future of the free content on our art station so please go to fundraiser.residence.fm to donate there too and see you next week on art then and now with me anna gammons have a great week